From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me today, Josh Raggio and the hunt boss himself, Brooks Tinsley. Guys, how are you? Good, Rocky. How are you? Doing good, Rocky. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Let me ask you something. Today is 9-11, a very, very important part of our history. A couple of things I noticed today. Number one, I didn't know that this day had been named Patriot Day. Were you guys aware of that? Mm, I did not know that either. No, I didn't either. Yeah, um, it was on the my kids' school calendar, and they were asking me what Patriot Day was. I said, well, you know, kind of went through the whole 9-11 spiel with them, which we've already talked about. But, you know, the other thing that I've noticed with it being 9-11 do you remember those first 10, 15 years kind of after 9-11? A couple of days leading up to it, and then the maybe the day after, you still had a lot of documentary-type videos, National Geographic, History Channel, Fox News, whatever it may be. It, those days leading up to it, and like I said, that day, you saw a lot of old video footage of it. Now... You know, pretty much just talk about it on the day. And I get to thinking to myself, was that kind of like how Pearl Harbor was and how people kind of thought about it back then? Probably so. That's probably a really good analogy there. Yeah. i tell you one of the best, um, I guess it's a documentary that I watched over the past couple of years about 9-11 was about George Bush and <clears throat> kind of his story, what he went through during you know once the attack happened and then it kind of it it ends basically with him throwing out the first pitch you know the world series at yankee stadium and the story about that have y'all seen that i had have man the, it will give the emotional chill the emotional yeah the emotional strain that he went through that day but never showed it never uh, he, yeah. he people around him remain calm because he stayed calm. That was one of the big points that they were trying to make with that. And he was a great president. You know, they, he was. Yeah. Liberal history can derive what they want to about him, but he, he he was a great president in a time he was he was put there at that time. Yeah, he, he was the person for the job at that time. Yep. And one of the things that I remember about that throwing out that first pitch is Obviously, they wanted him wearing a uh, bulletproof vest, 
and he's down there in the tunnel and he's talking to Jeter and, you know, he's kind of practicing warming up and basically he told him, you know, that I think his dad had a uh, former president Bush had thrown out a first pitch and the pressure, the pressure was on him to throw a strike basically to get it to the mound and to throw from that, you know, throw from the rubber, not at the front of the dirt. And I think he ended up taking the vest off and, uh, and just showing, you know, him being out there at that time, uh, during the world series. I mean, I'm telling you, if you haven't seen it, you can YouTube it and it will give you chills him walking out on that field and throwing that pitch, um, right after, you know, a month, month and a half after that, after nine eleven, it's intense. Mm. Good stuff. Where were y'all? Where Where were you when you heard the news that day? Go ahead, Jeff. <clears throat> well, I was in Chicago. That was my one year that I went up there to uh, to play baseball, and um. I ended up playing football too, kicking, but I was actually uh, still asleep when my mom called and said, you need to turn on the TV right now. And I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, But I did. And about the time I turned it on, it took about the first plane had already hit the tower. And I think about two or three minutes later, the second plane uh, flew into the tower and it obviously I was awake at that point and yeah, I remember exactly where I was. And then it was a, it was a scary time, obviously being in Chicago because you know, you're in such a big city. We were 15 minutes outside the city uh, in Elmhurst. Um, and so, you know, I remember going to the field that afternoon. We didn't actually practice, but you could see the skyline from the field and we all just kind of sat around just kind of in shock and, and waiting for something to happen you know, in the big city. Thankfully it didn't, but it was, uh, it was a scary time. And, you know, I think anybody that's lived through it that was old enough has, you know, will always remember exactly where they were. So, I mean, yeah, that's where I was. Go ahead, Brooks. Yeah, I guess th- this was before, you know, iPhone. So I had a flip phone and I was walking to class and I can remember I was at University of West Alabama my freshman year. And I just remember uh, uh, getting a call. I think it was from my mom. The same thing. Have you been watching TV? And I was like, No, I hadn't. She's like, Well, you know, somebody just bombed. She thought that the World Trade Center had been bombed at the time. But yeah, it's kind of one of those things. You know, pretty unforgettable deal. You know, somebody said it this morning. I think I was watching Fox News early this morning, and one of the reporters that was on the ground at Ground Zero said that today, in itself, weather-wise, probably resembles 9-11-01 more than any other day he could remember in the past. And I started thinking to myself, you know, if you really stepped outside today, because I remember I was at Mississippi Valley uh, going to a computer class, and I, were, I was it's supposed to be an advanced programming class, but we were learning at that point the keys to the keyboard. That's how advanced it was. But I remember being on Yahoo 
website, and I remember it scrolling across the screen about the planes that hit the World Trade Center. Remember, leave it. Didn't think it didn't hit me at that point. And I remember leaving class, and man, it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. It's hot. Man, it's hot. Just like today. I was telling somebody the other day, I don't remember September being this hot, except I always remember it being that hot on 9-11-01. It was hot that day. And I showed up at work and anyway, walked into the office and the TV was on. And that's when it really hit me. It was probably 12 or 1230. What was really going on that day? But weather-wise, like I said, do you remember that day? It was kind of real. It was real similar to today weather-wise. I mean, I, you know, yeah. in Chicago, Chicago, it was obviously Chicago very different. different. Yeah. yeah so I don't, yeah, I don't really have recollection of the weather. I remember it being a blue, bluebird. I remember it being a bluebird morning, you know, just clear as it could be. And hell, it's, it's September in Mississippi. It's hot. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just remember that morning, it just being like a, just a real clear morning. Yeah, it was a pretty day that day all right so josh back to this you you brought up a very important topic in that you you kicked i i knew that you had gone to chicago um number one you were dating somebody from up there but number two you'd gone up there to play baseball but how in the world did you end up on the football team <laughs> well um, I was sitting in my dorm room one day and I could see the, I could see the practice football field from our dorm and I was watching the kickers kick and <clears throat> I kicked in high school. So I, and played soccer. So I had a, I had a little bit of knowledge of it. And I just remember watching and thinking, man, you know, I think I can, I think I can do that, you know, as, as, as well as those guys. And, I was kind of bored. I would say bored. I mean, I was, I mean, I was always just looking for something else to do for whatever reason. <clears throat> and so I decided to go ask the baseball coach if I could try out, you know, go at, go ask the baseball coach first, if the, the football coach would mind if I tried out for the team. And this was like a week before the first game or the week of the first game. And he's like, yeah, you know, if he needs you, then, you know, whatever, we'll make practice work and this, that, and the other. And, so I went to the football coach. I said, coach, I said, I think I'm as, you know, I think I can kick for you if you, if you may be looking for another kicker. And so he said, well, yeah, you know, we are. And, uh, so I went and tried out that afternoon and didn't have, I mean, obviously all I had was baseball cleats when I went up there. And so I didn't have any soccer cleats, no football cleats. So I went out and I, I kicked with a sock um, on cause I kicked soccer style. So it didn't hurt. And sure enough, he, <clears throat> he signed me to, to kick and I think that was on a Wednesday. The first game was Saturday. And I signed my eligibility papers um, Saturday morning before the game. They got me a uniform, everything I needed. And I kicked off the first game of that season. And when we got in the huddle, I literally didn't know a soul in the huddle. And so it was a little bit of an awkward moment. Yeah, I mean, you're the kicker. They don't really give a crap. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just do your job and get back to the sideline. Man, I'll tell you, it was so. I ended up kicking off, punting, and place kicking, and it was the punting most fun too? I had. 
yeah, punted too. It was the most fun I had the whole year that I was up there. Obviously, I got to know all the guys, the team, and man, it was just a it was a really cool experience, you know. I mean, yeah, it's not SEC football, obviously, but you know, you're still playing in front of some pretty good crowds, and I don't know, it was just a lot of fun. It was just a a, a lot of fun. So, yeah, just on a whim, saw the guys kicking and and thought I could do it, you know, as good as they could, and ask and lo and behold was able to you know kick for that that whole season and then uh played baseball and then packed it up and came back came back south for my senior year all right with with without detail and i'm no need in getting that part of it but i'm sure you and the lady at the time broken up correct oh yeah of course yeah Okay. Yeah, that didn't last very long once I got up there. But I'll tell you, and and I really, you know, I wanted to come home. I really did. Once that was done, I'm I'm in Chicago. Don't know really anybody for the most part. And I was kind of like, well, screw this. You know, I'm going home. And and I'll tell you. So I, you know, I called my dad. And I said, here, you know, here's what's going on. And he said, well, first of all, you're not coming home. He said, you you know, you've got an obligation to that school or that team. Um, you've committed to them to you know, to do certain things and, uh, you know, you need to, you need to follow up on, on your commitment regardless of, you know, whatever life is thrown at you. And, you know, when I stepped back and look at it, looked at it, I mean, he was obviously right. Um, you know, when you're a junior in college, you're not the wisest, you know, sometimes. So, you know, I kind of fought it, but, you know, I did end up staying and, um, yeah, you know, it all worked out. It's it's part of my story. You know, I went however many miles that is for probably the wrong reasons and learned some life lessons, but also learned some good life lessons once I was up there, um, you know, through sports and different things. Just, hell, just, you know, life's challenges uh, get thrown at you sometimes. So, yeah, that was the, that story. Named this, I'm beginning to think that I named this story wrong. I should have named it the Renaissance Man. Good Lord. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Nothing you won't try or do, <laughs> because kind of kind of knowing what's coming, you know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, try. But I will say this: went all in, didn't you? I mean, yeah. commit. That's who you are, right? Am I wrong about that? When you do yeah. something, you go all in. Yeah, and it's to a fault sometimes. <laughs> but that's why I think that's why Brooks and I are such good friends because he's the same way. Um, you know, Brooks, Brooks maybe more than me with certain things, but you know, I think we 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 share that personality trait and we kind of we we get each other in that way. And um, but yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's an accurate description. Um, the Renaissance man I've, is yeah, not so. the Renaissance man is not accurate. It's like to a T. No, not bad. Like I meant, no, <laughs> I meant like all in. If I'm doing it, oh, yeah. something, I'm yeah. all in. Not the no Renaissance doubt. man. That's agreed. I appreciate that. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> but you know, but yeah, I'm all in if I do something. So you come back from Chicago, and where does it take you from there? So I came back in. When I was at Meridian, uh, Coach Hill Dixon had, had 
uh, tried to get me come to Bellhaven, which is here in Jackson. And, um, you know, being, being young and dumb and, and, you know, I didn't want to stay in Jackson regardless, but when I was down with Chicago, I was asking him if I could come back and play and, and he needed a shortstop, thankfully. And so he, um, I came back and finished at Bellhaven there my senior year and, uh, coached there my fifth year. Um, as I finished my degree, uh, coached the infielders, kind of a, a grad assistant and, um, got a degree and then got off into the rodeo world after that. But that Bellhaven time, man, that was fun. I, I really enjoyed Bellhaven a lot. Um, and, it's and great Hills, school. Yeah, Hill's in the you know sports hall, of, Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. I mean, he's he's got a field named after him at, at Southern Miss. I mean, just a great guy, uh, you know, to play for and then to coach with, um, and then to just become friends with him. He's he's just a great guy. Yeah. Bull riding, bull riding. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Bull riding. Yeah, I think we mentioned that last week. So my, yeah, I must not so always. Listening. I always wanted to. It was always a dream of mine to ride bulls for whatever reason, and I couldn't risk getting hurt in college. Couldn't lose a scholarship. I was smart enough to know that, so I never got on a bull in college. But as soon as I got done, I headed off to a rodeo, signed up, rode my first bull, fell off in about four seconds, but was fairly addicted and another one of those just personality traits like you know when i was in i was all in and that's really not a good sport to get it's really easy to get hurt when you go all in and bull riding right so i started riding going to practice pins going some rodeos and the bottom line is i just wasn't very good at it and uh, i went to a practice pen one day and the bullfighters didn't show up and growing up on a cattle farm you know, being around cows and, and that kind of my whole life, I understood kind of how they, uh, you know, how to sort cows and all. It's all about angles. And, and I was still in really good shape from college. And so I jumped out there and, and kind of volunteered to be the bullfighter. And, and another guy did too. And we did, we did really well that night and I really enjoyed it. Um, from the, from the adrenaline aspect and the aspect of, you know, I just got to save that cowboy from, you know, getting his ass run over. And so I went back the next week and went, kept going back, kept going back. And the same guy kept going back also. So we kind of, I guess, became partners. That's, that's one of the things that when you get into it, you really want to find somebody you trust that's going to be in the arena with you. I and mean, if you get in a bind, he's going to get the bull off of you if you're on the ground. And so we actually, you know, we started traveling and, and getting contracted by, by these rodeos, you know, around the Southeast and, so, I mean, we, we started fighting bulls, um, and, you know, on the weekends, I'll tell you, man, it was, we took some hellacious hookings and, but we, you know, in, in two years, um, we, we really honestly didn't let anybody ever get hurt. Uh, we, we were always in the right spot, the right time. We always took the, you know, the brunt of the hit for, for those guys. And, and, and I just, I loved it. I, I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, I'd still be doing it today if it would actually pay the bills. Um, but you know, you can't make two or 300 bucks a rodeo when it costs you a hundred to 150, 200 to get there, to get a hotel room. I mean, it just financially, it didn't make sense. Um, 
and kind of towards the end of that, I'd met my wife and, you know, gotten a pretty good job at, at Caterpillar. And so that kind of faded away, but yeah, man, that, it still makes my heart race when I think about being in the arena and it's tough. It's, it's almost impossible for me to go to a rodeo and sit in the stands after oh, being oh. on the dirt. Let's go back to the first time you ever rode a bull. You remember? Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Walk us through that. Well, so behind the shoots, you know, you're getting ready and kind of getting all your, your stuff together and, and you draw, everybody draws a, a number, you know, or their bull. And so I draw and I'm looking at him and I'm like, damn, that looks like a bad son of a bitch right there. Cause he had, he had pretty good <laughs> horns. And so I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting really nervous, honestly, but by now you can't back out. I mean, it's, it's not one of those deals where you go, ah, no, thanks. If I can't ride, if I can't get on him, I, I'm just going to pass. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so I get ready and, you know, honestly, I didn't even know how to put my, my rope on him. So I'm, you know, kind of asking some of the other riders, I'm like, Hey man, you know, um, can you help me, help me with this rope here? And they're like, yeah, you know, what's up? I was like, well, this is, this is actually my first time doing this. <laughs> and so at that point I got, a lot of attention and a lot of help because they all want to see this what's about to happen you know and uh so they helped me out and and i i didn't even know how to tie my damn hand in the rope you know so i crawl off in the sheet it's my turn and i crawl off in there and you know this guy his name was matt smith matt's helping me he's pulling it tight he's like is that tight enough i was like well i can't feel my fingers so i guess it's i guess we're good he was like, all right, you know, wrap it here, and, you know, you wrap it here, and, you know, don't put it in your pinky. It's a suicide grip. If you, if you watch those guys in the PBR, they'll they'll take the tail of the rope, and they'll put it between their ring finger and their pinky. That's called a suicide wrap, which means if you come off opposite of your hand, you're going to get hung up if you wrap like that. And uh, he said, don't, don't do that. Just lay it across. So just slide up on him and, you know, reach over his head and nod your head when you're ready. And I mean, I don't – you know, a million things are going through your head. You're not really focusing too much on what about what's about to happen. But I do remember sitting on that bull and his just you could feel you could feel his whole body and his muscles just like just contract you know, like he's ready. He knows what's about to happen. And so I slide up slid up on my rope and I nodded my head and just all hell broke loose. I mean I remember just getting jerked and like, oh my God. I remember thinking, All right, I'm riding a bull and the next thing I know, you know, I'm, I mean, I was on my back and running. That was the one thing they told me. I said, look, when you when you hit the ground, you just run as fast as you can in a direction. You look up, and hopefully you're running towards the fence. But when you hit that ground, you do not sit there. You just start running. So, man, I felt myself hit the ground, kind of knocked my breath out. and I got up, and I started running. And I swear, I didn't throw my hat, but I wanted to. Cause even riding for four seconds, I just kind of accomplished my dream, you know, of riding a bull. And yeah, that's how it went. It was quick. Dude, that may seconds. be one of the best stories told on this podcast. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> as kids, wanting to be a cowboy, all of us dream about getting on a bull at some point. Whether it be sitting in the stands watching it go on, I man, you're sitting there thinking, "What's that? What would that be like?" Yeah. And you did it. Yeah, I did it quite a few times. 
I remember getting on a bull in somewhere in Mississippi, and that son of a bitch, he literally had baseball bats on his head. And I was just, and see, that's it. You can't be, you can't be like that, or you're not going to ride for eight seconds. And I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, this thing is, if I get over his head and his horns hit me, he's going to kill me. And uh, I got pictures somewhere. I wish I could find them. Um, I've got a picture of my dad on the back of the sheets, and you can just see it in his face. It's like, what is my son thinking? What is he doing? You know, but he was there. He was supporting me. He knew how bad I wanted to do it. But did you ever get hurt? Not uh, well. The worst I got hurt riding was uh, I fell off on kind of on my face, stomach, kind of face first, and the bull stepped right in the center of my back, and I thought I'd got run over by an eighteen wheeler. And because I, I didn't know what happened because you can't see. But I mean, it it knocked the breath out of me. I mean, I couldn't breathe for I mean, what felt like 10 minutes is probably 30 seconds. You know, you just, <gasps> I mean, you're gasping for air. If I ask somebody what happened, he said, oh, he just stepped on you. You're fine. <laughs> oh, oh, he just stepped on you. Stuck it up. Yeah. That was actually in Brandon. And one of those walls is concrete. You can't get away from one of those sides. It's pretty tough, but. But when I was fighting bulls, I took some pretty good hookings. I had one get um, his horn got up under my vest and cut me pretty good on my ribs. And um, got, I got caught between the fence. The, the rider fell off, and, and I jumped in between them, and the bull caught me. I was just about to clear it, and the bull caught, my, caught me, and he knocked me down. And I was right up against the fence, and he just, it was like a pinball. He just kept hitting me up against the fence, and I'd fall right down in front of him. He'd hit me, and I'd hit the fence. He'd come around, and he finally got a horn kind of under my vest. And, you know, it took a little while for my partner to get him off of me, but that was probably the worst. I'll tell you one more story about bullfighting, and then we'll move on. So we were fighting a rodeo, and this boy fell off. And I don't know if you've ever seen anybody when they fall off, but they, they, you ever seen anybody get their spur hung up in the rope? So they're literally hanging upside down. On the bull. Have you ever seen that happen? I never have. Well, I hadn't I until yeah. until this. So he falls off and his spur gets hung up on the bull rope. And so he's literally hanging like head first. His head's luckily it was a really tall bull, so his head wasn't dragging. And we're running alongside him. And it's so weird how all that happens when you really get comfortable in that situation. It's kind of all slow motion. And he's yelling, get me out of here, boys, get me out of here. And the only thing we could do is literally kind of throw him back over on the other side or he wouldn't have come out. And we managed to get him thrown back over before he got to a fence or anything to get him unhooked. But that was the craziest thing I ever saw was him hung up by a spur, hanging upside down. It was wild. What's, yeah, what's a lot of good worst, memories. What's the worst injury you ever saw? Actually, um, uh, my bullfighting partner was a hellacious bull rider, but he didn't wear a mask, and he got pulled down. If you've ever seen Tough Edelman on Bodacious, which 99% of people have, when he gets pulled down and he just busts his face wide open, I saw that happen to, to my my partner. It bit half his tongue off, and you know he ended up with screws and plates and all kind of stuff in his face, and I remember the sound, and it was it was horrible, and it was. So he hung it up after that too. Yeah, 
it's a dangerous game. It's it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Brooks, would you try it? Given the opportunity? Uh, I I'd say I do try about anything once. <laughs> that's one of those things. I, I probably would. I've always been one of those guys where your buddies would be like, I bet you won't do that and I did it. <laughs> so I probably would. <laughs> well, I say that now I probably wouldn't. When I was you know, 25, hell yeah, I'd have done it. <laughs> Rick, See, they were told, you know, you, y'all know we got Edward on a bull, and then I got him to fight a rodeo with me, a little junior rodeo. Come on. That he was, did. <laughs> Edward Wall. That was, I that was a long ride-able. time. That was a long time <laughs> and many pounds ago, if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Edward was one of those kinds that, and I think me and Brooks could probably like this. Well, we would have been back then, kind of like this now. Like, I bet you on, or you know, I dare you. And yeah. That was all you had to say, to Edward, and he was in. Well, yeah, Edward's kind of got the body build, you know, minus minus a little bit of weight to be a, you know, because your your center of gravity has to be lower. That's you know, and I think that's what makes him a good golfer. You know, he's I mean, not yeah, when you're. When you're five two, it's not hard to. <laughs> uh, he's but I've, but I, that's the thing, you know, Josh. That's the thing I've always heard from everybody that rides bulls is the first time, and I was waiting for you to say it. The first time you wrap your legs around a bull, the contraction of the muscles and the power that you feel in an animal. Unreal, Rocky. You've heard. I mean, you've probably heard people say it's like riding a tornado. You just cannot fathom how much power is under you when you nod your head. You just you cannot fathom it if you've never done it. it it's un. It's unbelievable. It's, it's you can't even describe it. How those bulls are. I mean, they're bred to do that, and it's just it's ridiculous. Ridiculous the power that they have and how fast they are. I mean, yeah. I mean, you shouldn't win. They should win every time. Because in practice, you, of course, you practice on a, a mechanical bull, and no, no. you kind of. Oh, you don't you practice on real bulls. Yeah, mechanical <laughs> bull is not nothing like a real bull. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. It's kind of you can kind of figure out the moves that a mechanical bull is going to make, be able to hold yeah. a bull yeah. breaking out of a you know with a pin opens. You don't know what he's going to do. Twist, jump, what you know? There's no telling what he's going to do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tie yourself to a Ford F one fifty and go about one hundred fifty miles an hour doing donuts, and you know that's kind of <laughs> what it feels like. Oh, so so were you Lane Frost and, and your wife now? Was she Kelly Kyle? Did she fall in love with the bull rider? No, but I'll tell you, it was kind of awkward. We, we When I first, when she invited me to her parents' house for Sunday lunch the first time, and everybody kind of, you know, was like, well, you know, what do you, what do, you do? It's like, well, I'm a bullfighter. <laughs> they just didn't know how to take me. I don't think they still do, but it was, uh, everybody got really quiet. 
remember. <laughs> it's like, what? Are you like a clown? Like, no, I don't wear a mic. I'm not funny. My partner's funny. I'm not funny. I, I just, I just kind of run in between the cowboy and the, the bull. That's kind of what I do. Oh, okay. Huh. Hmm. Okay. They're probably thinking she's <laughs> a dumbass. <laughs> no, they're thinking, boy, my daughter's a dumbass. Why is she talking to this guy? Or both of us, probably. <laughs> I raised her better than that. <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, I, I have great in-laws, but that was an interesting first meeting when they asked me what I did for a living. So, somewhere around this time, you and Brooks get to be friends, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll let Brooks tell that story. I've been talking enough. <laughs> I've been hanging out in the shadows just waiting for my moment. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so me and another friend, Brett McCool, like on a whim, decided we were going to go to a duck calling contest in Paducah, Kentucky, <clears throat> kind of one of those deals. We're both good duck callers. And hey, look, there was a big amateur contest. And we're like, hey, let's go up there and see what we can do. Anyway, we both had a good time. We got back. A mutual friend of ours, uh, Jason Fields, had seen that we went up there. He knew that Josh was a duck caller and put us together. So kind of got you know, met him through uh, kind of competition duck calling. So this time, Josh, were you making calls or just? Oh, no. Kind of in, no. in part time, just traveling around to calling contest. <clears throat> yeah, just participating some. Um, I mean, I've been doing it for a few years just because dad had been doing it. And so... I mean, I knew enough about it. I mean, I knew the routine, and I'd blown, blown in enough contests to at least talk somewhat intelligently about kind of how it all went. And, you know, Brooks and Brett came over one day, and you know, we kind of went through that whole thing and, um, you know, ended up spending a lot of time. At that at that time, I was, I was blowing Greg Hood's calls and ended up going up to his shop quite a bit he was very instrumental in, you know, helping, I guess, helping both of us really. And, yeah. you know, learn all the, the intricacies of, you know, that whole world. And, but I, I remember that day when I came over, just, we were just talking duck hunting and they had a trip planned to Missouri. Um, he and Brett and their buddy Dustin, and they had room for one more and they said, Hey, you know, you ought to go with us. I mean, we had literally just met like 30 minutes before that. And so, you know, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> so yeah, that must have been obviously really close to duck season when we met because it wasn't, but like two or three yeah. weeks, wasn't it, Brooks? It was pretty close. Yep, yep. pretty and close. And so there. having met about 30 minutes, you know, I hopped in the truck with them and we all four pulling a boat and I think we had two dogs at least and, you know, ended up going hunting Grand Pass and killing the crap out of ducks and you know i guess kind of that's forming a friendship after that you know after that hunt um with all those guys and it's just it really just i guess that never stopped We've been hunting hunting together ever since and you know 
I'm kind of best buddies. <clears throat> let's 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 talk about that just a minute because we've had the hunt boss on here, and we've had many people that hunt with Brooks on here <laughs> talk about hunting with Brooks, including you, Josh. So that first hunt was he the was he the hunt boss on that first hunt, or did he just kind of ease you in? Ah, crap, Rocky. Oh, I don't really remember. I don't think it had. I think it was because it was only four of us, and we were in a really a new. So we 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 get to Grand Pass about thirty minutes before the draw. I think we drove all night to get there, and we drew a really low pill, so we had a really good kick, you know. And Brett was the kind that Brett was is fairly opinionated, also. But it's dark. We've never been to this place, and we find our pool. Isn't that what they call them, Brooks? Pools. Yeah, pools. You know, yeah. pools. Yeah, we find our pool. We're gonna hunt, and you know, I'm kind of like, what the? You know, we ain't never been here. You can't see nothing. Like, I don't even know what it looks like. And these guys are already talking about, you know, let's put the boat in here and blah blah. blah. And I, honestly, I was just kind of alone for the ride at that point. <laughs> and um, but I mean, so you know, you know. Once it got daylight and all, I mean, it was all, it was all good. But, Brett, you know, I guess kind of that first trip, it was kind of like a, he didn't yeah, take Brett, over like he, he does. Brett was, now. Brett was kind of my mentor in the, in the duck hunting world. And so kind of, I, hell, I always kind of looked up to him. He was kind of, kind of my hunt boss, I guess, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah. And hell, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know nothing about nothing. Literally, <laughs> literally, yeah. Drove all night. Hold on, from, and from from what Ed says, riding in the front of the boat, holding the spotlight. A lot of times, he he feels like you don't know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Ed's you don't know where he's going until he gets there. Ed for sure doesn't know where he's going. Anytime he's gotten a boat with me, that's a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. He's doing good just holding that light and that dog at himself without falling out of the boat with Brooks driving. <laughs> to hear Ed talk about riding in the front of that boat on his belly holding that light. <laughs> oh, man. But what's amazing, so, yeah, so, well, here's, so this is how Brooks is. So they had built, um, we we drug this little 14-foot John boat up there with a, not even a service drive, I think it was a long tail, that they had literally built at that point, which was somewhat groundbreaking back then because, I mean, all that was fairly new, and this was a small, like, six and a half, you know, so all these other guys, you know, in-state guys, we see them, they're in those, kind of layout boats with trolling motors and you know you can see them just kind of easing through there it probably took them you know 30 40 minutes to get to their spot and we're out there with this loud ass you know six and a half and we had to make three or four runs but you know we got to where we were going pretty dang quick um so i remember thinking i was really impressed with like just how i guess kind of innovative and in the, the equipment they had and you know i mean they were ready for this trip and it you know, they'd been doing that, hunting that way in Mississippi, but I remember just being so impressed with kind of how they handled themselves and all the equipment and, um, 
you know, and, and it's, it's still that way today. I mean, hell, I get impressed every time I go hunting with Brooks and our group. It's, it's always something that's always interesting. So after the bullfighting and the bull riding, you take a job with Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I met my wife and took that job in the same month. Uh, so it was a pretty good month, October, um, 11, 12, 12 years ago now. And, uh, yeah, as a product support sales rep, <clears throat> which we had talked about me being somewhat introverted personality wise last week. And so jumping into the sales world where you're going to deal with, uh, people's problems every day and you're going to be the one they call to, to complain about when something's wrong was, a little bit of a shock, but you know it was a great it was a great learning lesson. Um, you know how to how to just how to handle people and deal with people and, and handle issues and problems. Um, you know in a very professional way. But yeah, that 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 job. Um, I think I did that one for eight years, and then ended up uh, getting a promotion to actually sell equipment. Uh, the last three that I was there, that cat at that bucket caterpillar which you know you look back and you always think you know i wonder you know should i have resigned earlier to you know do the duck call thing but i wouldn't trade any of those those experiences over those 11 years um you know it it really taught me a lot of lessons on number one i mean i have a business degree but you can't the things you learn in real life they don't teach you in college and so you know there's no way I would trade those those years. Uh, first of all, it was a great company to work for. I had some fantastic bosses. Um, you know, and it's, it, it translated into how I run my business. You know, today the duck call business. So it was some good years. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject on Josh's story because I was kind of friends with him all through his, uh, you know being a product sales rep and then getting a promotion to selling equipment. And for those of you that don't know, so Puckett is a Caterpillar dealer. And um, Josh, you know, obviously is an extremely hard worker. So when he started making duck calls and kind of when he was kind of kicking the idea around to doing, you know, duck calling full time and possibly quitting his job, I was like, damn, Josh, you worked 10 years to get a job that a lot of people would die for. I mean, it was the top tier, six figures, you're set for life type job. And to be honest, I was like, you're a dumbass if you leave this job and start making duck calls. I'm pretty sure I told him that on several occasions. (laughs) Yeah, you did. (laughs) <laughs> at least four, maybe six. But, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I'm eating, I'm eating crow now, but I mean, at the time, I was like, do you really think you're going to make and sell this many duck calls? So, yeah. You talk about a leap, Brooks, of faith, a leap of faith, it was like, it wasn't like he didn't, <laughs> didn't have a job and was like, hell, I'm just going to make some duck calls. No, he had an unbelievable job that he was, you know, considering leaving to, you know, making wooden duck calls by hand, which is like, okay, well, whatever you want to do, man. <laughs> and I, 
I'll say this, old Hastings, man, what a great guy. What a great guy to work for. We were fraternity brothers at Mississippi State. And competitive. Woo, you talk about competitive, man. Oh, Hastings was competitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's one. So, you know, I did a, oh, yeah, great family to work for. He kind of, uh, I did an Ironman event back in 2012 or 13, and he was kind of the inspiration behind that. Now it's kind of like that bull riding deal. Like, I get my mindset on something, just becomes a bucket list. I've got to do it kind of thing. You know, Hastings did Ironman and qualified for the world championships in Kona, Hawaii and did it. And I was never at that level, but, um, he was a lot of the reason I did the, the one that I did, um, watching him be able to train with a family and run a business that big. Um, I thought, you know, I got no excuse. If he can do it, I can do it. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't know Hastings personally, but I do know kind of how this whole deal transpired. And I know that they were all extremely supportive, you know, as you were doing it on the side, and then as you transitioned to do it full time. So it really kind of don't know Hastings, but speaks volume for his character for sure. Yeah, I was always great, very great transparent guy. with it. You know, it was nothing I ever hid because I mean, obviously, it started out as just a and just a hobby. Uh, yeah, I never had intentions of actually selling a duck call. And uh, so it was very, I mean, everybody knew I did it. I mean, I, I had it on Facebook and, uh, you know, eventually a website and everything. And Hell Puckett bought calls from me for customers. Um, so it, it was it was never anything that, that I hid uh, from them. And, and they, you know, when I, when, I, when I handed my letter of resignation in, you know, they admitted they knew it was coming. They didn't know it was coming quite when it did. Um, but, you know, there were some things that happened that kind of led to that decision. And they ultimately turned out to be, you know, the best decision I've ever made. Again, I never trade those years for anything because it is what got me here. But, um, you know, the timing was right and or it was as close to right as I could project it to be. You know, it's kind of like having kids, Rocky. Like when you first get married, you think, you know, you just, you know, we're probably going to have kids, but you start wondering and looking like, you know, how am I going to afford it? What kind of parent am I going to be? How are we going to do this? All those questions arise. Well, they, those same questions come up when you change jobs like that. Brooks has done it. Um, you know, how am I going to support my family? Am I going to sell duck, you know, be able to sell enough duck calls? How, I mean, how, all these questions come up. Um, but it just, I don't know. I just had that feeling like, I mean, I got to try it. I can't, I can't go to my grave wishing I would have done this. I've got to know if it'll work or not. And if it doesn't work, you know, I'll go get another job somewhere. That's fine. But, and two, I mean, how do you, we're, we're big proponents to our kids. You know, you know, if you, if you dream big enough, no matter how wild and crazy it is, if you want to do something, you need to pursue it. If that's what makes you happy, um, pursue it. You know, be an artist, be a what it doesn't matter, whatever you want to do. So how can I tell my look my kids in the face and tell them that if daddy didn't have the guts to do it? I mean it would be be false words, you know. Tell somebody to do something but you don't you don't have the guts to do it. You know, a lot of those type thoughts go through your head when you're when you're trying to make a decision that big. Um and so ultimately, you know, I made the decision. 
and it's it's been the best uh, best one I've ever made, thankfully. From a happiness and peaceful, like inner peace standpoint, if that makes sense. Well, next week, let's spend a little time on those first calls that you made because we we've talked about that story a little bit back when Justin Harrison was on the podcast. I want to talk more. We can get Brooks back on here and have yeah, you talk. I can, a lot. I can talk. I can talk about those calls. They suck. <laughs> they were cool. They were so cool because he made them. It was like just this wow factor. Like, damn, you made these. This is cool. I mean, it'll sound good, but so go back to the drawing board there. But I mean, this is pretty damn awesome. I want to talk yeah, about some fun. of these stories of, of y'all hunting together. So, starting the call company, you two hunting together because there's tons of stories there. Tons yeah, of particularly, stories. yeah. There's some boat racks that are really, really fun to talk about. And some aspects of the call company that were very attractive. You know, one of the things, the kind of the wow factor, the cool factor of Raggio Custom Calls was having that starting that call night. And Brooks, I, I think that I know that you were there that first call night, weren't you? Yeah, I was there. It was like. He had been doing it, I guess, full time for a little while, but that call night, like bringing all these people together and all the people that are there, I was like, man, this is, this is really damn hey, dude, cool. You know, you're not kidding, man. It was, man, I was something I was to still, see um, online. I was still uh, working at Puckett when I started that. Um, yeah, the call I, think, night. I think, yeah, yeah. That there's, was, just, uh, there's little aspects of the business that I'm not going to tell everybody the secrets to the sauce, but I, that, that to me. That was one of the things that really kind of slingshot you out there fast. Yeah, <clears throat> that's one of them. But there's definitely some others that were bigger than that as far as kind of getting my name out there and you know, kind of getting my product out there. Um, yeah, we talk about those next week. But there's there's some other really good thing like I just a lot of a lot of it was right place right time type things a lot of it was somebody having a little bit of faith in me and what I was doing to offer you know something that that eventually really helped me um, and then and like you say some of it was just things that I wanted to do just like the call night and uh, you know some other little things that I've done I guess with the business um, so yeah yeah, there's some really cool things that have happened over the past, you know, six or seven years that have gotten it to where it is now. Uh, like I said, I want to spend some time on that, but I want to spend some time on you and Brooks hunting together in y'all's group. <laughs> to me, man, that that's it's some great stories there. We Matt, give bring Josh, on here. We we give Josh a really hard time, so there'll be a lot of stories. <laughs> Out making fun of Josh, my wife, like hearing us talk, she's like, "Y'all are assholes!" Like y'all, do y'all even like each other? <laughs> you know, cause, but I, I, I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this can relate. You've got a hunting group, and that's just what that's part of like having a hunting group is just giving each other a hard time. And Josh is just like low hanging fruit on a lot of these things. So yeah, it's gonna be pretty fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, Remember that whole Mister Misunderstood last week, Rocky? Like, uh, 
that's um <laughs> I give them plenty of ammunition, but I've got six skin, <laughs> thankfully. So. <laughs> well, we will jump off into those next week. I I have enjoyed it, and I, and I was going to say, Josh, that that post that you made on Monday, man, what a post! Kind of goes back right, to what you were you. talking about tonight. Yep. Yeah, I guess it does relate to that, doesn't it? Well, it's so real quick before we go. Like that's uh, the reason I made that post. I don't offer a lot of just insight. Just I don't know. I don't know why. I just don't, and and I should more. I guess just kind of put out there what's on my brain. But I've I've had a few people call me over the past you know a few weeks and months, kind of asking about you know they they're feeling a pull or call towards something other than what they're doing. And they, they call and ask me, you know, how did you do it? And a lot of the things that we just talked about is, is my answer to them. And so I thought, you know, if, if those people are actually reaching out, how many other people are, are thinking it or have it going on in their, you know, a situation where they feel like they need to be doing something other than they're doing right now. And, you know, I'm not encouraging. Well, I don't say that. Um, I mean, I'm in, I'm just trying to shed some light on, I'm not trying to encourage people to quit their job, just trying to shed some light on, you only get to live once, quit living like you're going to live twice because you're not, and you only got so many years to, to do whatever you want to do in this world, you know, and you ain't getting any younger. So that was kind of just the, the reason behind the post. Um, so yeah, just a little philosophy for you, I guess. <laughs> That was a great. So thank you. I, pre- I appreciate that. I got a lot of comments and texts and calls about it. I, I hope that I'm right in saying this, but I, I remember the, the canvas back hunt that you came up and went on. Ah, think when we were talking about it, you 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 didn't say, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this full time." But I think that morning I said, "Josh, you need to do it. You need to do it." Man, you you got something big going on. So, Brooks, I was kind of opposite. I kind of encouraged it. Thank you, Rocky. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank, thank, thankfully, maybe you maybe you pushed me over the edge. Actually, no, 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 no. We 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 were talking about a lot of things that morning, and I just said, man, you need to do it. You need to step out there and do it. I, I think I'll tell you this him, about my friend group. They do give me hell, and this is one. But, but I, I mean, I, I'm up for a challenge. So we had a work day at their old camp one day, and this was before call night. But it was the idea. The idea was there, and we're standing around eating crawfish. And I said, "So I got an idea. Y'all tell me what you think." I said, "You know, I, I want to just invite people to come over and you know teach them how to blow calls and just kind of see what happens." And every one of those SOBs were just like, "Yeah, that ain't gonna work. Ain't nobody." <laughs> Thanks, guys. And it became the coolest thing in Mississippi hunting wise. It ain't long time. It was fun. Still is. We got a we got an event October fourth here. Kind of this basically a call night. You get tickets for it on uh there's a link I posted if you're interested in that. So yeah. It's actually All for backcountry hunters and anglers. Yeah, uh, which is our public land advocacy group. If you're not familiar with BHA, um, 
you know, please join it. We got a Southeast chapter going and we're going to host an event here. Uh, myself and Devin Singleton, who makes a cut down call, uh, are going to be the speakers and Devin's got some great stories also. So it's going to be a fun night. Give you a chance to get to his call shop because I know a lot of people have asked me where you are. So you need to get tickets yeah. and go to that. Yeah, come sign the wall. Come be a part of it. Food and drinks and duck calling and duck hunting. Nothing get much better than that. All right, so I challenge both of y'all. While you're riding, while you're thinking about all the hunts that you've been on together, you think of something, have your little notebook in your pocket, write it down, or you'll remember it for next week. That It uh-huh. should be really good. Brooks has a Ramsey, Ramsey Russell memory. So he can recount all of these hunts where I can recount about three or four probably. Oh. It'll be good. It'll be good. Oh, yeah. We'll have a great time. Guys, I've enjoyed it. Thank you again for being here. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.